Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. We're using Gretchen Rubin's book called The Happiness Project. And when you came in, hopefully someone gave you a little booklet that looks like this. And I'll I'll explain that in a few minutes. The idea of the happiness project is that we, on purpose, have the means for increasing our overall enjoyment of life. That if we take it on as any kind of a project that just requires a little bit of attention and a little bit of energy, we can actually boost our set points of happiness. So last week we talked about that idea of set points for happiness, that if we get a little happier than we're used to, we'll actually tend to kind of sabotage it and and bring us down. If we're way underneath our regular targets for happiness, well, often then we'll do some things to bring it up. But the key of this book is that we purposefully can raise our set point of happiness. It's just a matter of elevating it for, you know, a, a couple months. And so I was thinking this might be a fun summer project. Gosh knows the first part of this year was difficult enough. We're due for a little happiness. <laughs> now, today, I'm going to take on maybe something that could be on all of our happiness list, on all of our intentions. And that's actually having fun. Honest to goodness, play. Now, when was the last time that you scheduled yourself in for some play? Friday. Friday? Okay. <laughs> well, good. Good. You know, you know what is more common, though, is that we gave up play when we were a kid at some point. What happened along the way that we simply forgot how to play. It's as though something about adulthood said it wasn't okay anymore, or, or we lost sight of it, or the, or the things that bring us pleasure suddenly seemed that they needed to have some purpose to it, rather than just hanging out with friends and having fun. Well, I want to talk about this idea of purposefully having fun today, and I think maybe a good place to start with play is a joke. So let's, uh, let's see if we can manage that. So George knocked on the door of his friend's house. When his friend's mother answered, he asked, can Albert come out and play football? No, said the mother. It's too cold today. Um, he could borrow a coat from our house. Then could he come out and play? No, said the mother. He has homework to do. Um, I could help him with his homework, and we could get a jacket. Then could he come out and play football? No, said the mother. By the time you help him with his homework and get a coat from your house, it's going to be too late to be outside. George, not to be daunted, but a bit exasperated, finally said, Well, can at least Albert's football come out to play? So the reason actually that that joke is kind of important, believe it or not, is we actually have gradients of play. And, uh, and Gretchen Rubin talks about these in the book, and I want to kind of go over the three general areas of play. So the first one is what she calls relaxation play. And this is the one that we're probably most familiar with. 
So many of us, we have a, a day at the office or a day at work or, or a day with some stress in it. We come home and we often engage in what she calls relaxational play activities. Now for 99 point some frightening percent of Americans, guess what that is? Is TV, right. But there are other activities that most Americans engage in that many of us find relaxing at all, like cooking dinner. It's a relaxing thing for me. I know it's not true for everyone, but that's one of my relaxation kind of activities is, is to cook dinner. Some people have cocktails. Some people will read the newspaper when they get home, right? Uh, notice what all of these things have in common. They're all very passive. They don't really engage us much other than to observe, right? And the trouble with that is that scientists have shown that those kinds of play activities generally only last, the feelings of play, the feelings of happiness and enjoyment, they only last while the activity is going on, right? And so as soon as the TV show's done, as soon as you're finished making dinner, what tends to happen is we slip back into the frame of mind we were in before we started. So not the best way. It's better than no play at all, but only just better than no play at all. The second category, though, of having fun and playing is what they call accommodating fun. It's what uh, uh, Ms. Rubin calls accommodating fun. And I want to talk a little bit about this one because in particular, it's with people. If you add almost people to any kind of activity, you get a little bit of a boost. Most of us find pleasure, find interest, find more engagement if people are involved in an activity. So believe it or not, even if all you did was watch TV with a friend, right? Or you did some knitting with a friend, or you read the newspaper and talked about the articles with a family member, you're actually likely to be twice as happy just by involving other people. Depending on assuming that you enjoy the activity you're doing, right? The fact that you're involving someone else tends to ramp up the fun twice as much. Now, the reason it's called accommodating fun is, uh, well, it actually relates um, to an old Mark Twain quote. Um, he said something like, uh, an evening of family enjoyment is an oxymoron. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and the reason he said that is, Try to find one particular activity that everyone will enjoy, right? It's like I kind of dare you to, right? So the idea of accommodating fun is we're going to get the benefits of being together and enjoying our company, and we're willing to accommodate what most people will enjoy doing. So how many people here like playing board games? All right, we got about half of them. I remember when I was about 11 years old, I loved playing board games, right? It was like Monopoly, it was like Stratego, it was like all kinds of board games, and my family were having accommodating fun. <laughs> years later, I found out that both of my parents actually kind of dreaded game night, but they were accommodating 
because the family had that sense of intimacy and closeness and joy. I mean, they had fun, but the activity itself is not probably one that they would have chosen. You got me? So, so sometimes we want to go along with the crowd, even if it's not something we entirely enjoy. Why? Because it's fun being with the people we love. It's fun hanging out with our friends and family. We get a lot of pleasure for that. Um, another example, anyone here a karaoke buff? A few, uh, see, fewer, fewer numbers, right? Well, I happen to hang with a few friends that love karaoke, and I gotta tell you, I'm so miserable at it. <laughs> But being out for the evening with this group of friends couldn't be funnier, right? And so I've, I, I've kind of worked up my one or two songs that I can do without totally turning bright red. And even though the song, I'm, yeah, oh gosh, it could be better. It really could be better. But I tell you, I don't pass on those nights because it is so darn silly and fun, and it's a way of interjecting into my life, something I would, first of all, probably never do by myself. Uh, Not me, I mean, I know some people would, right? To some people, that's a way of really engaging their sense of play, and they can do it by themselves. For me, I'm doing it for the relationships, I'm doing it to be with friends and a certain amount of silliness, and I put up with the fact that I have to get up on stage and sing now and then. Makes sense? So that's the idea of accommodating fun. We do it not necessarily that the activity is completely our thing, but we recognize family and friends are a key to enjoying life. Okay, third category is what she calls personal and challenging fun. And her idea is when we actually have an investment of our creativity in something, it doubles the fun again. So let me give you a couple more examples of this. This is where you can turn, in fact, some of the things from lower categories of fun into higher levels simply by putting your creativity into it. So for example, sitting in a room by yourself knitting, probably just relaxing fun. Doing it in a room with a friend, right, brings you up to that accommodating fun because you're there with a friend and of course you'll talk and, and carry on. What if you design your own knitting patterns? Do you see how that one engages your creativity as well? So those are the kinds of activities that she says actually boost it yet another time. And the cool thing about it is it tends to persist into our lives even when we're not doing it. Think about it. You're on the lookout for other knitting patterns. You're noticing people's sweaters, right? So you're actually engaging a part of your mind in a fun activity throughout the week. So what are some other of these uh, challenging or personal activities? Gosh, any kind of a, a craft where designing is involved? It isn't just executing it, but you're putting your creativity into it, um, doing charades, improv, writing. Back to, back to singing again for a minute. You know what? If you throw in the element of it being songs you have written, then you're back into that higher degree of fun because it's not just that you're singing. It's actually part of your creative process that developed uh, the song itself. Uh, Another example is team sports, but let me put a caveat in here. Oftentimes, team sports 
are just accommodating because we're just going through the efforts of it. If, however, in the team sports, you're working together as a team to perfect plays, like if it's on the football field, if you're working as a team to perfect your skills, then your creativity engagement levels are higher. And so it would count. So, so really what defines these three levels, the first level is that it's just passive. So if it's just a relaxation kind of fun, it's passive, you're just watching something or listening to something, it's better than not having fun at all, but it's pretty low on the scale and it will typically just last as long as you keep doing it. Accommodating fun is where more people are involved. There's more stake in it. You're there not only for the activity, but for the, the camaraderie. You're there to explore one another. It, it umps levels of, uh, of um, um, friendship. It, it, it allows you to have a greater intimacy with loved ones. And so that one tends to persist even when you're not doing activities because you'll be thinking fondly as of those people and, uh, and the situations. And then the third level is when we actually put something of ourselves into it. It's not just following the rules of a board game. In fact, one thing that I did, I think I was about 12, was I invented my own board game. And it was this crazy combination of sort of Monopoly and sort of Strategio. And I know you're saying, well, how do those two go together? And they probably didn't go together. But I got to tell you, the energy I put into developing the board and the cards, and oh my gosh, I couldn't have been more excited. And of course, when we played it, I was in heaven. So for me, at least, <laughs> right? For me, it was more than accommodating. <laughs> and my poor parents went along with it because they were enjoying the accommodating part of fun. So do you see how that works? So what I would like to suggest for our summer of fun, for our personal happiness projects this summer, is to really look at the category of honest to goodness play. Are you playing? And I would say a place to start if you're willing to do some homework this week is, what do you find fun? Let me give you a, a brief definition of fun, a quote, to, a quote out of our book, and it might surprise you. She says, studies show that the absence of feeling bad isn't enough to make us happy. We must strive to find sources of feeling good. One way to feel good is to make time for play which researchers define, all right, listen up, researchers define as an activity that's very satisfying, has no economic significance, doesn't create social harm, and doesn't necessarily lead to any praise or recognition, right? So we're literally doing it for its sake. We're not gonna win a prize, we're not gonna get paid for it, there's no one particularly that will benefit or be hurt from it. It's simply engaging in something that gives us pleasure. Research shows that regularly having fun is a key factor in having a happy life. And note the last sentence here. People who have fun regularly are 20 times as likely to feel happy than people who don't. So unstructured play is worth its weight in gold. 
So again, idea of homework is what represents play for you. Now, some of us might have hobbies. Some of us may uh, enjoy going to movies with friends. Uh, the other key learning that I got out of the book is that it will be different for everybody. And so here's a, a caveat. Here's something that I want to throw out to you. Some of us are so out of touch with what might be fun is we may tend to go with someone else's idea of fun. Do you know what I mean? It's like you may have observed that your sister really enjoys horseback riding or that, uh, that a friend of yours that's really dear enjoys uh, you know, going to the ball games or something like that. I tried that last summer. When I was a kid, I was in Little League. I loved, uh, I loved pitching balls, and I thought, gosh, we have a nice baseball team here in town. I ought to check that out. And I was expecting I would have a, a great time at the ballpark. And after paying the $35 for a hot dog and, and the worst seat in the house, then I discovered I actually hate it. <laughs> it's like, what? what's up with that? So be open to the idea that what brought you happiness in the past could be different now. And what brings happiness to other people may not be your bag. So feel free to do a little experimentation. My thought of our, of our happiness project for the month is we'll take June, July, and August to really explore happiness, to think about ways of, of upping our, our happiness quotient and keeping it up there. And so you'll have some time for experimentation. Uh, feel free to try a few new things, but if they don't work out, don't force yourself. Happiness isn't forcing yourself to do something because you think it would be good for you. Know what I mean? Okay. So uh, in your, uh, well, not in your program, but handed to you, hopefully when you came in, were these little happiness project booklet-y kinds of things. Uh, the directions, I think, are pretty self-explanatory. They're on the front page. And it's really just a way of very simply being easier on yourself to kind of track that you actually are doing some things this summer that bring you pleasure. And the very uh, inside first page uh, is just a sample from mine, and I'll use it just as an example briefly here. So happiness area, one of the ones for me is my primary relationship with Daniel. And so I put a couple uh, goals there. Have a date night at least every two weeks throughout the three-month period. So that would be six date nights. That's my goal. And I'll just mark little hash marks when we do it. And, you know, if I don't get six, that's okay. If we get seven, that's great. But the idea is I'm going to try to make sure that I have time to actually do that this summer. And then another goal, take the dogs to the dog park uh, with Daniel at least once a week throughout the three-month period. They are so silly. Our dogs are like the silliest dogs on the planet. You let them loose with about 20 other dogs, and it is just a madcap fun time. Now, you might say, well, that's a little passive, isn't it? And yet, if you've been to the dog park recently, it's not very passive. You're talking to other dog owners, you're playing yourself. It really is a way of, of becoming engaged outside of yourself in a fun way. And then you'll notice I also, under happiness areas, I do enjoy being outside. And it's one of the things, though, I've discovered. I have to make the time, I have to schedule the time. If I don't, I will always find indoor activities. 
And so for me, I put down go kayaking at least once a month, so that'd be three times in the next three months. Schedule a long walk or hike at least once a month. These are all things I love to do. And what I know is, if I don't actually make time for them, the summer will be up and I'll go, oh, holy heck, I hardly even enjoyed this summer. So that's my thought. Um, of course, you can personalize this with whatever you want. There are some uh, examples on the front page of different areas that you might want to boost your happiness in. Um, I would suggest making your specific goals or intentions measurable, because if they're not measurable, you probably won't do them. You'll probably, like if you had a goal of, uh, my goal is to spend more time with my grandkids, for instance. It's like, well, more time? Uh, you know, that's a little nebulous. Maybe a better goal would be to spend uh, two hours a week with my grandchildren or, or four hours once a month with my grandchildren. Then you can keep track of it and you're more apt to actually schedule it rather than just being nebulous and saying, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to participate in more sports this summer. Do you see? It's apt to just go by the wayside. Okay. So uh, just a couple more thoughts. Uh, one thing is don't underestimate the things you did as children. The book pointed out that, that the noted psychologist Carl Jung in his 60s started playing with blocks again. Now think about this. It might sound crazy, but I happen to know there's a real fad right now of adult coloring books, right? Absolutely. And so don't discount things that might have given you a lot of pleasure as a child. Maybe you would want to have a board game night. Maybe you would want to get out your, uh, what were they, erector sets and uh, Legos? Yeah. It's like, it. because again, the idea of fun is it doesn't need to be productive. It's spending time in a creative way, and if you involve other people in particular, it ramps up the fun factor. So it could be as easy as stealing some of your grandchildren's toys and having a really good time. All right, so I'm going to close today uh, with a quote from uh, My Happiness Project and some words of advice from uh, Gretchen Rubin. She says, relaxing fun, of course, is easy. I don't have to hone skills or take actions. There is very little coordination with other people or preparation involved. Watching TV, the largest consumer of the world's time after sleeping and work, that is relaxing fun. However, research shows that challenging fun and accommodating fun over the long term bring much more happiness because they're sources of the elements that make people happiest. Strong personal bonds, creativity, mastery, an atmosphere of growth, the delight of companions. Relaxing fun tends to be passive, whereas the other two, of course, you're putting something of yourself into them, and that's what makes them more fun. So we get more fun out of challenging and accommodating fun but we also must put more time into it. We must schedule it. We must make time for it. It takes energy and forethought, but it is always worth the extra effort. 
Let's pray. There is one power, one presence, one, uh, one great delight. It is the source, of course, of all fun, of all joy, of all peace, of all love. It is that, that one source that is God. And what I know about God is that the abundance is limitless in all areas. There is an unlimited abundance of fun, of joy, of our ability to step outside of our day-to-day work life into a life that has greater happiness. And so, for myself, I claim it. This is my summer of fun. This is my personal happiness project moving forward this summer. And I know, without question, that I will raise my happiness index, that at the end of this summer, I will be happier than I am right now. I know it without a doubt. The system works. And as it is true for me, it can be true for each person here, that each person here can have their own happiness plan, their own happiness project, and that by the end of the summer, there will be more smiles, there will be a greater sense of love and participation, that our families will be stronger and our friendships will will have that tighter bond of intimacy. I truly know that the summer of fun is here for us, and I am grateful in gratitude, I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you're here. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.com. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.